Welcome to the Marketing Stir podcast by Starista, probably the most entertaining marketing podcast you're going to put in your ears. I'm Jared Walls, associate producer and Starista's creative copy manager. The goal of this podcast is to chat with industry leaders to get their take on the current challenges of the market, but also have a little fun along the way. In this episode, VP of B2B Products, Vincent Petrofessa, and CEO AJ Gupta chat with Oren Hoffman, CEO of SafeGraph, and former co-founder and CEO of LiveRamp. Oren discusses supporting employees and customers alike while they're stuck at home, the future of industry conferences and events, and why you should never begin an email by saying, I hope you are well. Give it a listen. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of The Marketing Stir brought to you by Starista. I am your host, the Vice President of B2B Products at Starista, Mr. Vincent Petrofessa. Joining me, as always, is my fearless leader, the CEO and founder of Starista, Mr. AJ Gupta. What's going on, AJ? Hey, Vincent. Uh, you know, I ventured out today for the first time in a couple of months. Um, and even though technically the restaurants are in San Antonio, everything was uh, pretty dead. I had to uh, do a, attend a bank meeting quickly, but I made it in and out quickly and alive. So I risked my life earlier today for the betterment of the company as always. <laughs> nice. You went to the bank uh, during that time. And now you're in San Antonio. So San Antonio is actually slowly opening up. Yeah. So technically everything can more or less be open and the, uh, gyms are the only thing left and they're supposed to open on the 18th. But, uh, even though technically things are open, everything in reality is fairly shut down still. Yeah. I'm in, as you know, and the listeners may know, I'm, I'm based in New York City. I've been in Pennsylvania, though, for 45 days with my in-laws. And I'm going to be venturing back to New York City on the weekend just to kind of collect my things and check mail and maybe be there for a couple of weeks, see how it is in the epicenter there of all this and decide if I if we're going to come back with the family up here in Pennsylvania. So nothing is opened up in New York city. And I expect that that's going to be the, the last thing to open up uh, as far as the country goes, that would probably be the last, uh, last city to an area to open up. So we'll see what happens, but enough about me, enough about New York city, AJ, we have a great, great guest today joining us on the podcast is the current CEO of SafeGraph. Can't wait to hear about that. And the former CEO and co-founder of LiveRamp. Ladies and gentlemen, the marketing stir welcomes Mr. Oren Hoffman. How's it going, Oren? Hi, Vincent. How are you? Thanks. Great to be here. We're glad to have you. Thank you so much for taking the time. Oren, you know, we, we want to know, we ask our guests, we just want to know a little bit about, you know, tell us about yourself, where you grew up, why you got into this business. And then we'd just love to hear more about uh, SafeGraph. I've been seeing a lot of you in the news uh, about the company. I love it. I saw the piece on Nick Singh, but we'll get to that. But we just want to know a little bit about you. Sure. Uh, uh, 
you know, currently run SafeGraph. Uh, we're a geospatial data company. Previous to that, ran LiveRamp, which is a, uh, a, a middleware for marketing information, and did a few other startups uh, before that. Uh, went to UC Berkeley, uh, was studied engineering there, and grew up in the suburbs of New York. Now, the suburbs of New York, I did a little research. I saw that you went to Bomaranek High School. Is that correct? I did. Yep. Great place to grow up. It is. The reason I say that, Oren, is I grew up in Porchester, New York, and have a lot of family nice. in Mamaroneck, New York. Yeah. All right. Have you been to Sal's Pizza? I've been to Sal's, um, which is one the best pizza that I've ever had, and I uh, and I live in New York City. I've also I wanted to share this fact with you. My uncle, I think he was like a cousin, but being Italian, everyone's kind of your uncle. Was the principal of Mamaroneck High School, Butch Rinaldi, Michael Rinaldi. Does that name ring a bell? Uh, it doesn't exactly ring a bell, so that might have been before or after my time. I think maybe before, but the Rinaldis, they have a lot of, uh, I think one of the aunts there was a math teacher. I, I knew a lot of Rinaldis there. Yeah, I knew a lot of Rinaldis for sure. And Richie's Restaurant, do you remember you have Richie's Restaurant in Richie's 19th Hole? I don't remember Richie's, I don't remember that, I'm sorry. No, it's okay. Why would you remember that when you had Sal's Pizza? Richie's Restaurant is no Sal's Pizza. <laughs> well, I can tell you the, the best pizza in the world is Sal's Pizza. I might make a lot of enemies, but Sal's Pizza is the best pizza in the world. And the best hot dog in the world is Walter's Hot Dog. So anyone um, within 100 miles, if you want a great hot dog, I would say drive out to Walter's Hot Dog. Definitely. Love Walter's Hot Dogs. They actually have a uh, portable food truck now. Uh, in the area. So that is also something I did. Uh, I was like, it has to be the same Amaranek High School. We have a crack team here, Oren, that does our research. Basically, I looked at LinkedIn, but you know, hey, I, I love that you grew up there. Uh, yeah, I grew up in Porchester. We have a, a great uh, friendly rivalry. Love the area I grew up in. And uh, awesome. That's fantastic. So Oren, tell us about, just want to get into it here. I've been seeing a lot of the great work that you've been doing with SafeGraph. I love the piece that uh, one of your co uh, coworkers there, Nick Singh, was on Fox News. Tell us about this new venture in SafeGraph, what you've been doing. Well, SafeGraph has data about physical places. Um, so uh, uh, companies buy that data to learn more about what's happening in the physical world. So anything in the happening in the physical world is data that we have. And our goal is to have um, every relevant data element about every place in the world. So, or I'm seeing a lot of coverage, COVID-related coverage, where uh, mainstream media is picking up uh, SafeGraph's analysis. Would you mind sharing what some of the unique ways in which the data is being used by uh, newspaper publications? Yeah, sure. So, you know, as, as I mentioned, data has data, uh, data about physical places. And so one of the things we understand about physical places is foot traffic metrics, which is incredibly important in a world where people are physically distancing and we're moving around is an important uh, 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 news item. So the we built a data consortium with over 200, with over 2,500 cities and states, federal agencies, academic researchers collaborating together to save lives and also figure out how we can reopen the economy safely. 
Uh, and then we've also built one of the large, this, this, this kind of one of the largest collaborative academic communities in history. And we built all this in the last eight weeks. I think the pot, you know, today, I think it's, uh, it's, I think we're recording on May, May 12, 2020. That's awesome. Oftentimes it's hard to explain uh, friends and family exactly what companies like ours do. So it's great when uh, SafeGraph is in the news because I can say, hey, I know these guys. So Oren, one of the things that you know, I think everybody who listens to the podcast would love to know is how the concept of LiveRamp came about. Well, I mean, LiveRamp is a is a super company, and it's really one of the most in, misunderstood SaaS companies. For you know, many many people in your audience will will know LiveRamp. It has over seventy five percent market share in its market, so it's the dominant middleware company for marketing data. If you want to move data between one marketing application to the other, it's the um, it's the dominant middleware company that does that. Um, and it has a real, it has just has a super talented engineering team that continues to innovate faster than its peers. And I, I left the company five years ago, so I can't take credit for its current success, but it, it's really blessed with a huge moat, talented leaders, a great culture. And um, some of the current leaders like Scott Howe, Anika Gupta, uh, James R. Warren Jensen, and others have really been great stewards of the company. And how do you generally see LiveRamp and other companies in the uh, in the space getting affected with the cookies going away in the next year or so? Well, you know, LiveRamp's a middleware company, and so middleware companies benefit from complexity, um, and um, anything that like simplifies things are generally bad for middleware companies. So, um, like uh, very complex privacy regulations, like GDPR or CCPA, this would be really good for a middleware company um, because anything like that adds complexity to the system is very good. Um, having lots of vendors, so if there's like tons of vendors in the marketing world, that's very good for a middleware company. If there's only two vendors, if anyone, if everyone's just advertising on Google and Facebook and not using other vendors, then that would be bad for a middleware company. So more complexity is good, less complexity is bad. Um, moving the cookie stuff probably adds more complexity, not less. Uh, it's, hard, it's hard to say, but um, but my bet is it will be a long-term good for a company like LiveRamp. It could be a short-term hit, uh, but probably be a long-term good for a company like LiveRamp. Oren, walk me through you know, when in your career, where were you at, at the point when you kind of came up with uh, you know, the concept when you co-founded LiveRamp, kind of where were you in life? What took you to there? Well, LiveRamp uh, started like many companies in kind of a circuitous route. So we, we started in 2006. We were originally called RapLeaf. Um, and we were uh, initially trying to understand reputation of a person. Um, and and then uh, about four years into the company, we pivoted to LiveRamp. And it was a great pivot. Um, and, uh, and so LiveRamp's real first year of operating was in 2011. Um, and then, um, and then it, it grew very, very fast from there. Yes, it certainly did. You know, we're, we're a, uh, a proud partner, uh, of LiveRamp. And so, you know, we appreciate all that you've done there. We work closely with them. We just attended the their ramp up event, which was March first, March second, which was kind of the last, to my knowledge, 
last conference that kind of took place. Wow, what a difference two months makes, AJ. We were out there shaking hands and uh, talking to people, and now here we are. So that that was, uh, wow, feels like ages ago. Orin, yeah, I have a, yeah, other questions I have, you know, let's go back to SafeGraph. Talk to me about some of the challenges that you faced with SafeGraph six months ago. Talk to me about some of the challenges you think, you know, the business is going to face in the next six months. So take me back six months and take me ahead six months. Sure. So, uh, Everything that's coming with coronavirus has really affected our company in many different ways. Um, and uh, partially it's been very, very good, but also it's been challenging like like many businesses as well. Um, so uh, if we if we think about April um, 2020, so April 2020 was our best month for pipeline creation in our history um, because all of these different companies are very interested in wanting data about um, understanding places and physical distancing and human movement, et cetera. Uh, but just because it was amazing for pipeline creation doesn't mean that these deals will ultimately close because many, many companies are hurting in the economy um, and they might be belt tightening, et cetera. So just running a sales process today is very, very different than it was uh, six months ago. Six months ago, the product manager may have had all the power at a company, and today the person with all the power is, is someone in the finance organization. Um, and so we not only have to show companies that whatever we're doing is a huge enhancement to their product, but we also have to show them that our data will ultimately end up saving money um, so that or or will pay for itself, have a very high ROI very, very quickly. Um, and that's not something like six months ago that was was probably something that we had to prove as much. Um, on the um, on the downside, you know, we have many customers that are hurting. We have some customers that are going out of business right now. Uh, we have customers that um, have seen their business drop dramatically from uh, from a year earlier or even a quarter earlier. And so these customers need our help, uh, need our support as they're um, as they're changing what they need to do. And then of course you have your employees that you have to think about. And so uh, like like most companies, our employees work from home today. And now luckily, most of our employees worked from home even before, you know, we're a fairly remote friendly company. Um, and so we had all of the processes to work from home and um, et cetera. But still we have people that are now have challenges. We have people with kids at home that have challenges at their, at their home and they have to figure out how do we deal with our children and our schooling, et cetera. Um, we have people who live alone, um, and so they might feel lonely, or they may have um, other things that they might want to be thinking about on the mental health side. So we have to be really supportive of all of our um, all of our employees and all of our family. And then, of course, our customers are going through the same things as well. One of the things that one of the blogs I read by you recently was about how to prospect. In fact, I liked it uh, so much I shared it with the. Uh, whole sales team. So I would love for you to share with our listeners kind of your, what's a good way for somebody to reach a CEO like you 
I'm sure you get a lot of uh, junk emails. And how do you, uh, what, what stands out? What makes you respond to some of the emails over others? Sure. So cold email is just a great way to reach anybody. Um, and it's a really great democratizer. You know, in the 1970s, if you want to reach the C a CEO of a major company, you could actually call their home number and reach them. You know, when Steve Jobs was a high school student, he famously called the CEO of Hewlett Packard at his home. Um, but even by the 1980s, you could no longer reach the CEO except through their secretary, who was uh, usually like an ironclad gatekeeper. So there's really no way um, for the, you know, the masses to reach CEO of a major company. Email, you know, once it started happening, let's say in the late 90s, made the CEO much more accessible again. Now anyone can reach the CEO and most CEOs read 100% of their email. Uh, so one of the things I wrote in this blog was just how you should approach that, how you can cold email somebody, one of the things to think about, one of the things you should do, one of the things, things you should not do, et cetera. Yeah, no, I, I love the piece, uh, you know, and it, it's called how to write a great cold email that will actually get a response. Uh, and I got to tell you, one of the things that I've used since is I do not use, I hope you are well in the because uh, i use that orange and I, I kid you not i found myself i found myself writing an email to someone and i had that in there and i was like all right what else is synonymous with that what should i do i maybe i should just say hi <laughs> you know hi orin i'm so and so and i think when i when i messaged you on linkedin i was i think i was cautious to not put that in there uh but you're, you're right I, I i found so many great you know, pieces from that. And, and it, can you elaborate a little bit on that? Because uh, I'm in partnerships, I've been in business development, most of my career and, and sales. What approach can you give a few approaches? Is it, uh, you know, is it the personal approach? Is it, do you want to know how they're going to make your life easier? Elaborate on some of the approaches we're going to, we'll, we'll also make sure we share that uh, blog, but some of the approaches that, that you look for that you say, you know what, I will talk to this guy or gal. As you said, there's things you should never do and things you should do. So as you mentioned, things you never should do is use overused phrase like I hope you're well, um, asking people to you know, at, grab coffee or have some sort of nebulous agenda, anything like that are things that you should not do. Um, but the things you should do is, is really try to figure out a way to add value. Are you does this person really want to receive your email? Are you adding value to this person and will they benefit from reading your email? And then potentially what's the next step on the email? Um, and will they benefit from engaging whatever the next step you want is on that email? Um, and so, uh, you know, a lot of times people think, well, I'm going to email the CEO of General Electric and ask them for a career advice. Well, th that doesn't really benefit the CEO of General Electric. Maybe they're a good hearted, kind hearted person, uh, but they can't give career advice to every single person that wants to reach out to them over email. So uh, you have to figure out how you can benefit the CEO of General Electric. And if you can't benefit the CEO of General Electric, then don't don't send an email to him. Send an email to somebody else where you could actually benefit that person. Uh, so the rule number one of email is really figuring out how can I benefit the receiver of the email. I think when most people send an email, they're figuring out how me as the sender can benefit from the receiver. Interesting. What 
is well, and let me ask you this because I I'd, I'd like to know this personally. Is I see some of those emails where, hey, Arn, we could help you with your ROI five times faster. This and that. Is it? Do you like a personalized touch in the beginning? Maybe it's like, hey, Oren, I see you went to in. You attended Mamaroneck High School. I was from Porchester. Just wanted to see this is how we're helping customers. This is how you can help you. Or are you right to the point, ROI, we could make this better, so forth and so on. I'm interested in learning well, more about that. I, I, I personally don't a, – a personal touch is always nice, but it doesn't help me. Um, so knowing that like you grew up in the same neighborhood as me is not interesting or you know, is not very helpful to a CEO. Um, just, I, I wouldn't necessarily spend the time trying to build a connection with them. Um, I would try to actually figure out a way to help them. And um, if you can't help them, then maybe there's somebody else that you can help. So for instance, like I write a lot of blogs, I write a lot of things on the internet. Um, somebody could help me by making my blogs better. Hey, I rewrote your blog and made it much better for you. Um, this would be something that could be really helpful to me. And, um, and I would be very interested in hearing about that. Or, um, hey, you know, someone wants a job at, my, at, at, at a company. Let's say they want a job at SafeGraph. Hey, uh, I'm a marketer. I know you're not hiring for someone in marketing right now, but I went through your website and I redid like six pages on your website. And here's why I think what I did is better than what you currently have, et cetera. That, that is huge help. And now you're much more likely to engage with that type of person. Or, or it, it could just be like, I have one idea um, about how you can think about it. Or I saw that you tweeted about this thing and this is really interesting. And this spawned me to do these three things. Hey, what do you think of this? Or something like that. That is helpful because there's a lot of people who listen to our podcast who are probably on the front lines, you know, sending LinkedIn messages, prospecting, you know, sales is obviously very important, probably more important even now as companies may not be spending and shifting gears in marketing. Yeah. And also really, it's just really important to think about the right person. So, you know, uh, I, I, yeah, I've seen people where they're trying to get funded for their startup and so they'll just send it to everybody. Um, think about like who would really want to put money into the startup. Uh, it's probably somebody who funded something like similar and, um, and who has some sort of like, uh, affinity for this type of thing. So no sense, like if you're, if you have a biotech startup, like sending it to someone who only invests in B2B SaaS company. Um, so really kind of think about that, the, the receiver before sending it to them. It's not a numbers game. Um, it's a, it's a, it's, it's really about providing value to that receiver. Yeah, I, I totally agree. You know, the, the assistant media planner is not going to provide funding for you, right? He or she's not going to care if you reach out to them and you do, and you do a blanket email. Well, but even, even a super billionaire is not going to care either. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, they're not going to, you know, have the time. It's it's kind of getting to that right person and providing the, the right messaging uh, to he or she. I totally agree. Last question on the email front. What's the worst? Do you recall like the worst email you ever received from someone? I, I don't. Um, I, I think most, the other thing is just in general, if you're giving advice to sales channel is generally, I think people try to go in too high. 
um, most just if you know I get all these I'm a CEO of a company I get all these emails for some like random HR software that may be very good for our company or other types of marketing things that may be really great for our company but I'm not the decision maker on those on those products and so sending that email to me is 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 kind of a waste um, and so you should try to send the email to the person who's going to benefit the most from it um, and not go in too high. And sometimes if you go in too high, even if they do engage, if the CEO of uh, General Electric does engage with you, um, then you may overcomplicate the deal. And then you may have too many other cooks in the kitchen as you're trying to get the deal done. So it's often a lot harder to get a, a sales deal done when you're going in at a very high level. Great advice. Thank you. To kind of to go back in down the memory lane. So, was the plan always to sell LiveRamp, and uh, when the time came to sell it to Axiom, had that always been the plan, or was that a surprise that Axiom was interested? It was. It was a surprise. So it, our plan was just to build a great company, and um, and so Scott Howe, who's the CEO of Axiom, now the CEO of LiveRamp. Um, uh, called me up one day and kind of proposed an offer kind of out of the blue. And um, and so it, it kind of happened very, very quickly, but it wasn't something we were focused on or aiming to do. Gotcha. And, and how did that uh, change for you personally, going from a very startup mode to going to a very structured and organized company like Axiom? Uh, well, um, I mean, for me personally, there wasn't that much of a change. Uh, one of the things that we did when we uh, sold the company to Axiom was to really ring fence LiveRamp, and LiveRamp was um, was was an extremely independent uh, entity within the Axiom framework. So that Axiom at the time had 5,000 people. You wouldn't know that if you worked at LiveRamp. Um, we didn't allow any of the, the normal HR rules to apply to LiveRamp. We didn't uh, allow the IT systems to apply to LiveRamp. So it was very, very, very different. Um, we, we, didn't, we didn't really change the culture, um, et cetera. So really the only things that changed were like payroll and benefits, and, you know, a few other very small things. So we were really able to ring fence in, and that was um, uh, a, a, a Scott Howe who was this, uh, and Warren Jensen, who were the CEO and CFO at the time, were re really had the foresight to do that. And that, that served them really well because ultimately they ended up selling all the Axiom assets. And the only thing left is the LiveRamp asset. LiveRamp now trades as an independent public company under the, the ticker REMP. Um, and if they did try to like overly integrate it, A, it would have killed LiveRamp and it would have been very, very difficult for LiveRamp to continue, continue to innovate. Um, but also B, they would have never been able to split the company out. Um, and ultimately it made much more sense to split the company out because they, um, they had different types of missions, different growth trajectories, uh, et cetera. And it made much more sense for those companies not to, there wasn't a lot of synergies uh, uh, to each other. And it made a lot more sense for the companies ultimately to be two separate companies. That's, that's fascinating. I remember being at a data provider summit right after the acquisition and uh, Scott had given the uh, speech and the only thing standing between his speech was the, between the drinking and uh, was, was his speech. Uh, and I remember it, that was my first exposure to LiveRamp and I thought, hey, there's a 
good way to monetize our data. So I should look into this some more. Yeah. Uh, so one of the questions I had, I think one of the most fascinating things that's happened in our industry is a lot of the trade organizations like DMA and AdTech Conference uh, dwindled out, whereas ramp up as the as a conference has become the place especially for all of the data companies uh, to assemble at who came up with that idea and uh, was that uh, originally did you envision it growing as much as it has today yeah we did we so we we, we did actually envision from the get-go that ramp up would become the, the the main industry conference that was our hope obviously we didn't we didn't we didn't know the percentage chance we would be successful but if we had to have asked ourselves we would probably say 10 or 15 percent chance that we would have been successful um the uh the the real person behind it all was anika gupta who now currently is like the president of live ramp and one of the key executives uh but uh, we hired her just a couple of years before right out of college so at the time she was 24 years old and uh, we originally hired her as a software engineer and then she became a product manager and then we needed someone to run marketing and so we we asked her and she said look i don't know anything about marketing like why do you want me to run marketing and we told her look we don't know anything about marketing either i said i don't know anything about marketing you, you seem like a really smart person she's definitely one of the smartest people i've ever met and because she didn't know much about marketing she said look i'm just going to do one thing and one thing great and it sounds like this ramp up thing is a good idea. So I'm just going to do ramp up. I'm not going to do PPC marketing. I'm not going to um, do ABM marketing. I'm not going to do all the other types of things that are important, building great landing pages for the website, content marketing, all the things that you do. I'm just going to spend my time doing ramp up because I feel like I'll have a much greater chance of success of doing one thing really well if I just focus on that one thing. Uh, and that's the type of maturity that you don't expect from a 24-year-old. That's why Annika is such an amazing executive, is she was able to really just focus on that and just like relentlessly focus on making it the, a great conference. And right out of the gate, like even the very first ramp up was just a really spectacular event because of the focus that um, someone of her caliber put on it. Yeah, we're very familiar with uh, Annika. She and I are... Uh, Marketing Edge, Rising Star, Class of 2019. Uh, she's awesome. I uh, communicate with her quite often. She is fantastic. We're hoping to have her on the podcast as well. So we appreciate the kind words. She'd be a great guest. Yeah. We hope so. Yeah. We know. We we hope we know she'll be a great guest. We just hope she agrees to do it. <laughs> but uh, yeah. So <laughs> to, to that point, Oren, now ramp up right that's as we mentioned before that's the last conference that aj and i and the team attended we yeah it was too. about 20 percent 20 or were you you were there yep oh wow and uh it was about 20 percent less than the year before rightfully so because of uh, covid but where do you see conferences going do you do you see a ramp up next year in person where do you think in the next year or so you're going to see these valuable in-person conferences that we love moving forward. Well, I, I think ramp ramp up is, is, is certainly like the best conference in the marketing technology space. And so uh, I think there will be many, I think the, the number of in-person conferences will go down dramatically 
there'll be an order of magnitude fewer conferences um, um, next year um, and um, than there were last year. Um, the um, and so I think that will be good for ramp up because uh, I, I I do think they'll continue and and have a great conference. I think that will be good for ramp up, but it will be bad for like the third, fourth, fifth tier conferences that are that are on the calendar every single week. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I know we've been trying to do a marketing calendar, and nobody's really sure how to plan for things right now. Yeah, and if you're if you're going to get on the plane, you're going to get on the plane in the future for a really good reason. There's going to be a lot people are going to be less likely to fly, um, and and they're gonna they're gonna need to fly less. It's a lot. People are getting used to closing deals over video. Um, so if you're going to get on the plane, you're going to get on a plane for a, a really good reason. I, I personally have traveled a lot um, in my business career, and uh, my expectation going forward is that I'm going to be traveling a lot less. And when I travel, it's going to have a lot more impact. So if I'm coming to visit you in Cleveland, you're going to know this is a big deal. Uh, I'm coming for a big reason, um, and uh, it's going to be a big event. That, and rather than you know in the past, I would just get on a jet and um, talk to a potential client um, anywhere to, to try to close a deal. And also one of the things I loved about your blog as well, speaking of you being in person and it meaning something, those dinners, I love that idea. You would have kind of these, these dinners with, with people, small private dinners where you can share ideas and go over, you know, your thoughts about the industry. Do you see a lot of that happening more, just kind of these more intimate environments? Well, I, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of dinner parties, one conversation dinner parties. I think they're one of the most wonderful things in life. Um, you can have a dinner about work. You could have a dinner, you know, with your spouse and a few friends about just talking about different things that you're interested in, et cetera. Um, but having like structured one conversation, moderated dinners, uh, and they could be lunches or breakfasts, but some sort of like where you're getting together over a meal is just one of the most wonderful things in life. Uh, and, um, and I expect that to continue. I, I don't, I still think, I don't think it'll, there'll be a, a, a resurgence in those dinners or anything like that because they're, they're hard to plan and, you know, you need a quiet space to do it and, you might want some good food and et cetera. And you might want to, you have to invite the right people to get the right vibe and you have to think it through and moderate it. So you can't have like one of those every day. Um, they are, they are, they are kind of, and one of the reasons that they're so great to do is that they're, they're kind of expensive from like a time standpoint to plan them. Uh, and because they happen less often, um, they're, they tend to be really, really high value. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I, I love the fact there's something about it, maybe just being family oriented and just breaking bread with people, sharing ideas. People have the guard down and it's not so business y, right? It's kind of you're sharing ideas, you're talking. One of the things I've done growing up, as crazy and chaotic as my family was, we always had dinner every night. And it's just one of those things that I think. Uh, always resonated with me. And I think that's what Starista tries to do. We try to put on events, whether it's dinners with potential clients or clients or like-minded in individuals or events where maybe we're doing a small outing to a comedy show. We're organizing an event that we did at NASDAQ uh, recently. It's that more intimate 
environment. We do love the trade shows. We love going uh, as well. But I think we're, we are going to be geared towards more of those uh, events, I would say, AJ. Well, let's, uh, let's hope we have uh, more dinners than uh, Zoom meetings in the next few months. So. <laughs> One of the things I wanted to ask as well, Oren, is you, you mentioned it before, and I've asked my own CEO here, AJ, about it, and he's answered it. You mentioned being a CEO in these times, right? You're not only worried about payroll, perhaps, and your clients, but your employees, right? And what is SafeGraph doing to kind of boost that morale during these times? Are you doing any events? You're just kind of checking in. Talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah. So first of all, we have a great team, a great kind of people team that has been doing just an incredible job. Uh, and and luckily we had a head start. So we had decided to really build out this remote culture starting in January 2019. So we had already been kind of working on this for about a year uh, when COVID hit. Uh, and we had been thinking through a lot of the different types of structures and um, uh, how, how to do things in an asynchronous way in a company. Um, while, and while we have a remote culture, every single one of our employees is in North America. Uh, so every, everyone is maximum of like three time zones difference. And so it's, it's not as difficult of getting people live together. Uh, we, we are doing more events as a team. So, you know, we would do, um, uh, we, we, we do a weekly team event um, for that social. We also now do a weekly uh, team event for more business updates. Um, we have, we did, we've done a paint night where we sent out uh, painting kits to everybody and then we all painted together on Zoom. Uh, we did a, a s'mores night where we sent out s'mores to everybody and everybody roasted it on their stove or whatever they did and we did a little um, campfire stuff. Uh, we've done, um, we've done uh, kind of, we call them nerd talks or TED talks where we have different people that have given talks about neuroscience and um, other kind of like nerdy type of things, history, et cetera. Um, and, uh, and shared kind of, and, and you can see different people shine about different things that you would never know one of your colleagues. Um, and that we, we really try to understand like the human side of, of people as well. So, you know, if you, ha if you're going to people now bring their kids on the call, et cetera, or other types of things, so we can really get the sense. And, and it's wonderful getting a view into people's homes. Uh, you know, you really get a sense of the people before much more pre COVID, I think we're much more guarded about showing their homes and, you know, you, you, you never want your kids to show up on a call or uh, on a, um, or anything like that. But now, you know, uh, everyone understands that you're going to have kids running around crazy. I have two crazy kids in my house running around. Um, and, uh, and, and that's just kind of expected that they'll, they'll be, you know, guests have guest appearances on different uh, zoom calls. Yeah, I can, I can personally vouch for that. I don't think uh, my two-year-old has missed uh, any more than uh, one or two calls a day. So, <laughs> uh, so Orrin, you know, you, you are one of the most recognizable names in our industry, and we've had a lot of uh, great discussions over the years about uh, bookies and a lot of industry-related topics. But is there something about you that's... Uh, that you like to do that uh, 
a lot of people in the industry may not know hobbies that uh, we may not be aware of? Uh, well, I'm a pretty nerdy guy, so uh, I like reading a lot. I like to do a lot of things around data. Um, and I kind of come from like a data science type of background, and a math background. Um, I like really nerdy board games and other types of things like that. And then I, I enjoy writing and, um, and then, you know, kind of the, the maybe the cliche of spending time with my family. Got it. And what would be like a board game that you enjoy? Well, um, maybe a, a more well-known one would be like Settlers of Catan. I love Settlers of Catan. I think it's I think it's one of the best games ever invented, um, and it's a lot of fun to to play it. But I like a lot of other things, I, and I like just like card games. Uh, I play a lot of Hearts with my kids. Um, I play a lot of other types of games with my kids as well, um, and uh, it's a uh, really really enjoyable. I think it's a great fun time to go around and um, play some sort of uh, game like that. Yeah, my uh, wife and I used to play uh, Risk all the time until we decided uh -huh. it was not good for our marriage. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it teaches you. Uh, um, board games are great. They teach you how to lose, um, and uh, <laughs> you know, and I think that's really important. So, a lot of people in life are sore losers, um, and uh, you know, there's just like board, special board games with a lot of luck. You're going to lose a lot. Um, and uh and so i think that's great um and um you know even if you think of settler settlers in a four player game you know the best player might win one out of three times that they play or something um similar like with poker or something like that that you know and so um, there's just a lot of luck and in life there's a lot of luck too and so it teaches you a lot about yourself and it teaches you a lot about others and i i, I think these games are great to play and finding a game that like you and your family will like also is just a wonderful thing because it's something that you can play forever. So I, I have friends that play bridge with their family or hearts or spades or, you know, some of these um, rummy games. And uh, those are just great games that you could play for 50 years. Yeah, it's absolutely right. And I think one of the few silver linings with the COVID-19 situation is that I, I don't have as much commute. So there is definitely more time to do these things versus coming home tired and uh, having your child watch um, TV or the iPad. It's a great way to bond as well. Yeah, absolutely. So as we're kind of coming towards the end of our podcast, uh, there's a lot of people that are graduating uh, and it's definitely an unorthodox time to graduate college, what's your recommendation as an entrepreneur for some of these folks that are graduating with an unemployment at an all-time high? What should or can they do during this time to gain experience? Well, first is like thinking about what, like, let's say you're going to college right now, like, or you're thinking about studying something, like, what should you study? And, and, and I think kind of it's like your ultimate goal. And then doing what everyone else doing something different than what everyone else does who wants to reach that goal so if you want to go into technology i'd say like 
if that's your ultimate goal is to get on the technology, I think most people go into technology, they really, they, they figure, okay, they, they study computer science or something like that. If, if my, my advice to someone is if you really want to go into technology, you should do something very different than computer science so that you, um, you're differentiated. So maybe you should uh, spend a lot of time understanding and studying philosophy or something like that. And in fact, like some of the most successful technology people studied philosophy. Peter Thiel, Reid Hoffman, Nick Byme, they're all you know, philosophy majors. Um, and if you want to go into like law or politics, maybe then you should go study um, computer science because most people who go into law study uh, political, you know, political science, and, and studying computer science would give you a real edge over over people. And so, my 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 main advice is to kind of zig when everyone else is zagging, to 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 kind of do something that's a little bit more on your own path and not follow the traditional path. And as the as the labor market gets tighter and tighter, doing something different, doing something where you differentiate yourself is going to become even more important in the future than it has in the past. Those are fantastic final thoughts, Oren. We really appreciate it. Oren, again, is the current CEO of SafeGraph. Uh, of SafeGraph, but you can find it at SafeGraph.com. Oren, where could people find your blogs? I find them very interesting, but you know, can you tell the people who are listening where they could find your blogs, uh, where you may want people to, to follow you? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm prolific on Twitter. You can follow me at, at, at Oren, A-U-R-E-N, um, at Oren, or you can go to my blog, which is uh, summation.net. This is awesome. Oren, we had a, a great time. Time flew by. We appreciate you taking the time out with us today. We uh, love everything you're doing. Uh, keep up the great work at SafeGraph. And thank you so much for your time. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Aaron. All right. That, uh, that was Aaron Hoffman. Uh, that's AJ Gupta. I'm Vincent Petrofessa. Thank you for enjoying Starista's The Marketing Stir. Until next time, take care. Thanks for listening to the Marketing Stir podcast by Starista. Please like, rate, and subscribe. If you're interested in being a guest on the podcast, email us at info at themarketingstir.com. Thanks for listening.